Let's do it. Another episode of the Whack'em and Pack'em podcast, baby. You know who this is. This is Big Chatterpillar, and I got my man. How are you? White over here, baby. Yeah, baby. Looking oh. like Mamba, and sometimes Brother in the Woods. Yeah. And always a sighting. The Ebony and Ivory team is back in effect for another week, and dude, Dwight, we have another great guest, dude, like always, right? Absolutely, brother. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, dude, everybody, this is a good one. This guy, oh, he's legit, dude, and oh, we're going to get into it, but oh, 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 oh. Evan Outdoorsman. <laughs> Evan Outdoorsman. Hey, uh, before we get into it, let's, uh, let's just break it down real quick. Let's do a little biz. Turners, turners, everywhere. Turners, turners. In my bed, Turner, Turner's everywhere. <laughs> Listen, folks, we said it before. We're so happy that we have uh, uh, partnered up with these guys, with this with this organization. I don't want to try to make it a gender thing because it's not. But we've partnered up there yeah, because the fact is, is that uh, Turner's was owned by a woman in the beginning Woo. before they sold. So my thing is just that, hey, but Turner's is the place to go for all your hunting needs, fishing needs, camping needs, hiking needs, everything that you need. Hey, Turner's is there for you. Guns, bows, like you said, like I told you last time, where to, if you're an archer, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're an archer, take your butt to one of their stores and get yourself uh, fitted for a nice bow because they have all the types of bows, all your major brands, everything that you're looking for, even with their guns, rifles, ammunition, fishing, like I told you. Uh, Mike started off doing the fishing on the ground, behind the counter, doing all that. And the fact of the matter is that they're just as good as they were then as they are now. So, Turners for all your outdoor needs. Do not forget them at all. Hey, and if, you, if, if you're if you in Arizona, uh, my fault, I'm sorry to tell you, but I forgot to tell you what cities they were in. I forgot to get that information. But, hey, if you're coming out of California, just getting in and out, Burger, just come on by. There's a Turner somewhere near you. But again, for anything you need, turners.com, turners.com, they'll send it to you. And I'm telling you what, that they're, they're also going to be starting to get some other things that, that uh, you may need. That they don't have, if you're interested in something that they, you want in their stores, hey, reach out to them, reach out to us. Because, like I said, we got Mike on a speed dial. And the fact is, if he can get some equipment inside his uh, one of the stores or multiple stores, he'll make an effort to do it, you know? Oh. So, listen, turners.com, turners.com, they're out there for you for all your outdoor needs. Woo! Yeah, dude, they got 36 stores here just in California. Exactly. Oh, so if you can't find a Turner, you're not looking. You ain't looking. <laughs> because there's only a couple Bass Pro Shops and all the other bullshit around. But I'll tell you right now, you can Google up and you will find a Turner close to you guys. Absolutely. Woo-hoo! Especially if you're living in California, Arizona, mm-hmm. they're, they're going to get to you. They're, oh. they're, they've got a couple stores, but hey. They're working their butts off to continue on. And they're expanding. Yes. And they're not stopping. The, the, the train's going. Yeah. Yep. Woo! Thank you, Turners. We love you, dude. Yeah. Hey, also, check out WildEdgeInc.com. Wild Edge, dude. They're the OG in saddles, dude. Oh, my gosh, guys. If you want to elevate your game, dude, and I know everybody wants to elevate their game. Oh, Go out there, check out their website, get a package, dude. They have all kinds of good stuff on their website. They got the Berserker. They got the uh, platforms. They got uh, the uh, the Battle Axe. They got the Battlement. They got the Perch. Oh, 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 oh. 
dude, don't miss out, dude. Get yourself in there because you know we've been already been telling everybody in the last few podcasts, dude. Pretty soon here in California, dude, there's no more tree stands, baby. Yeah, dude, check these guys out, dude. They're the OG. Oh, OG in saddles, Wild Edge Inc. Hey, dude, you know what? If you listen to the last podcast, our last guest even spoke about the saddles, and it wasn't a setup. We just, Chad asked the man, hey, you shoot out of a saddle? And he explained it to you, how many of his hunts he was able to get a deer or get some other animal because he was able to maneuver that 360, that 360 degree around the tree. He's able to get around and shoot something. So, hey, listen, that he, we, he, he didn't know that we were sponsored by them, and we didn't try to get him to tell us. But, hey, that was somebody who's giving you a testimony on how well the saddle is. And that dude, Brian from out, uh, Addy's Outdoors, dude, he's a big guy. I yeah. mean, he's a huge, huge freaking guy, dude. Yes, oh, my God. And it holds him. And, you know, these ropes, they've been tested. And they hold 4,000 pounds. Mm. And, dude, there's no hunters out there that are 4,000 pounds. Mm -mm. The, the Berserker, uh, the saddle is literally made by Kong, dude. The, uh, the rock mounting climbing systems, uh, dude, they're legit, oh, dude. Oh, yeah, dude. So... Check out Wild Edge, guys. Also, check out Mountain Bound Hunt Co., dude. Oh, man, Mark and Trev, they got it going on with these new dog kennels, dude. Woo-hoo! They're, they're pretty badass, dude. You know what I mean? Uh, they got Absolutely. that going on. They got some uh, shed hangers going on. Uh, and they got all kinds of other shit going on, too, soon in the works. But right now, they have the kennels and the shed hangers. Check them out. And also, these guys will be at... The RMEF Cowboy Christmas Rodeo, baby. Yippee Kaye, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. Dude, they will be out there in Las Vegas at the Las Vegas Convention Center, December 6th to the 17th. Booth 23200, dude. Come on out, guys. Check them out. Come say hi. And maybe you guys will lasso yourself a little kennel. Take home for your little pooch, dude, because yep. these things are sweet. Treat your dog like your kids, like you do, and you'll love them, baby. They also will be at the Hunt Expo. Uh, February something, <laughs> 15th to the 18th. Woo! Yeah. And boot three, three, six, eight, dude. They will be out there also, dude. Don't lag on these guys, dude. These guys are uh, legit solid dudes and everything's small. Uh, you know how they always say, uh, support your, uh, small local businesses, dude, right? Mm -hmm. Also check out Gator Outdoors, dude. My man Wade out there, dude. Oh, man, he's out in Iowa, dude. He has the freaking, the merch going on. He has the 2023. It's almost 2024, but mm -hmm. there's still time to get that 2023 kill hat, baby. Dude, you guys go out there and get yourself just a $30 hat, dude, okay? And you guys are out there in the woods, dude, and you guys harvest something with your, your hat on? This my man, dude. He will send you out a free kill shirt, dude, just saying thank you. And that's what he's saying, dude. Also on his website, dude, he has uh, turkey calls, hats, shirts. He's uh, got King Camos going on. He's affiliated with King's Camo, dude. He has a women's. He has men's. He has a youth package, Dwight. I mean, he, uh, yeah. And you all, like I've been saying before, even if you don't get something, take some pictures, dude, because you guys are going to look freaking good. Mm -hmm. the, oh, King's Camo, baby. Mm-hmm. So, thank you guys. Thank you all my partners out there. We appreciate you. We love you guys for believing in us like we believe in you. And woo, -hoo 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 -hoo. 
yeah. That's all I can say about that, right, Dwight? Absolutely, baby. Woo. Hey, so let's just get into it. I know I'm speeding a little bit because I got a great guy on there, and I don't want to waste my man's time anymore, and I have to. But And the fact is, uh, he was a small businessman himself, right? Yes. Yes. Did it himself, and they tell you what, he's expanded, but we'll get into that later. So yes. you stand by and just wait for till we get through this little bit here so we can talk to this man. Hey, so... I just got a couple shout-outs. I, I have a whole list, and yeah, we're only going to do half of it because we have another podcast next Monday for you guys. Every Monday, you guys will hear the Ebony and Ivory team coming at you. Ooh, coming, mm. coming, coming at you, yeah. Hey, I want to give a shout-out to this kid. His name's James Cook, okay? okay. Uh, she's a, He's a son of Chris Cook and Mike Cook. They uh, have the Julian Ranch out here in, uh, in San Diego, okay, Dwight? Okay. This kid's 12 years old. Nice. And he he's been hunting, dude. He's been shooting. He's been nice. doing. He's been grinding it, dude. Nice. Oh man, he got an A twenty two tag. Twelve years old. He nice. went out there and he was able to get himself a doe, dude. There you he, go. Oh, yeah, it's not all about getting the buck, but he got himself a doe. It's about taking the kids out and turning them onto the outdoors. Oh, and and he got it, dude. And and way to go, James, dude. Keep it go. going, Congrats. brother. You're a young kid growing up. You're in a good industry right now, dude, and you're driving it, baby. And parents, yeah. thanks for taking them out there. Yeah, way to go, Chris and Mike. Uh Mike Cook, he oh, a uh, veteran by the way. Yep, there Woo! We go. Yep. And hey, did right, I say veterans. veteran? Yeah, you did. Oh, yeah. Yes, you hey, did. Shout out to all our veterans, yes. first responders out there. Yes. If it wasn't for you guys, me and Dwight, we wouldn't be here hanging out with you guys. Exactly. Yeah, cuz you know what? Freedom is uh <laughs> everything to And freedom ain't free. Mhm. Mhm. So, thank you all you veterans out there. Also, uh Bella and Ali Gonzalez. Okay? Bella's 13 years old. <laughs> Gotta love it. Shot her first deer, dude. Gotta love and it. she shot a nice buck, dude. And and Allie's 15, and she shot her. She shot, It wasn't her first, but she got a nice buck also. There you go. And they're out of Colorado. Uh, they're the daughters of uh, Efren Gonzalez. He's uh, the guy from Pack 'em Out uh, Outdoors. Oh, dude. Good. Yeah. He took his daughters out there, and man, they shot some nice freaking monsters. Also, uh, check out Pack 'em Outdoors. I know they're not a partner, but check them out. Because they have a thing going on called the Western Hunt Fest. And pretty much what I was talking to them the other day, it's about uh, they're going to start in May, April, May, June, uh, May, April, May for sure. They're going to have five contests, uh, all that good stuff. We're going to get him on here soon, and okay. he'll break it down. But check out cool. it's the Western Hunt Fest. Also, my last one. Elijah Lambu. Remember that gal that we seen at the Brow like a couple weeks ago? It was a childhood friend of mine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, her son moved to New Mexico. Air Force, by the way. Another veteran. There we go. Thank you, my brother, for being a part of the veteran. He went out there in New Mexico. He shot himself an awesome turkey and a sand crane, dude. And the sand crane picture he sent, oh, man, it was so big, dude. Oh, I never thought a sand crane was that big. Well, they say poor man's ribeye. Yeah. Woo. Woo. And you know what? I like ribeye. Yes. Oh, man, <laughs> do I like ribeye. Oh. Hey, and also, real quick, I know last week I said uh, about this person shooting that monster elk in Colorado. I said his name was Kate Marvel. It's not, dude. It's Kale. I'm sorry, Kale. <laughs> oh, someone mentioned it. Uh, it's not Kate. It's Kale. I, I'm, I, my writing's bad, so I couldn't really see my writing. So should have been a doctor. Woo! Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, everybody, for... Um, Supporting the Whack'em and Pack'em podcast, sending your pictures and all that good stuff. Keep on listening. Yeah. Subscribe. Get your friends out there to listen. If you like what you're listening to, get them to sign up. Man. Yeah. So, hey, Dwight, 
No let's, further ado. No further ado. No right? further ado. Let's get into my man, Dave Merrill. <laughs> What's up, Dave? How you doing, brother? I'm doing great. Loving the energy, boys. Loving the energy. Yeah, this is my man Dave out there from Bow Spider, everybody. So how you doing, Dave? Yeah. How's, how's the weather out there? Oh, you know, we're here in central Wyoming, and we've seen minus 10, minus 15, and we got a foot of snow. So it's perfect for chasing pheasants. Been and killing them like, like nobody's business. And cold. Oh, yeah, super cold. You guys got a lot of pheasant hunting out there. Oh, we got wild pheasants everywhere. Get out of here. Oh, it's 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 nothing to get 20 birds up in, in a morning walk if you know where you're going. Dude, I, it's so crazy. You know, and I want to do a pheasant hunt, and I've been looking at these outfitters just, just the past few days because I want to go get back out there and do it. Man, oh, I love pheasants. I love bird hunting. Bird hunting is a blast. Well, you- there, there will be a day when I uh, hang my hat up from the big game and – uh, I'll chase pheasants. Waterfowl's fine. I, I like to take the boys and go go sit over the the decoys and see some birds commit. But there's nothing like watching the dog get excited, working, getting up into some heavy brush, and then that bird flushes. That's yeah, pretty fun. You know, dude. I tell you what. I this this podcast. I think we're gonna get a lot of people turning away from big game and going after birds. Because <laughs> I tell you what, almost everybody that we've talked to, brother are bird hunters by nature or bird or bird hunting is their is is their main thing and that's how I started bird hunting and they've been hunting ever since so what's the lemon out there started what's, what's the lemon out there for pheasants three roosters oh nice per season or day per day oh shit yeah. and do you see that many out there can you go out there and just get lemons like all the time oh yeah Oh. Now, uh, it, it's getting them on the ground that's the hard part. Them wild birds, they they know what they're doing. they got to survive coyotes and foxes. Yeah. Yes, they do. And you have a problem with that, those, those coyotes out there, too? Uh, we do We do pretty good coyote patrol, and so do all the ranchers. So, no, I wouldn't say we have a problem. But, you know, at the end of the world, when the apocalypse comes, the, what will be left after our nuclear winter will be coyotes and cockroaches. <laughs> and cockroaches. Well, we'll still have something to eat, won't we? <laughs> yes, we will. Hey, so Dave, uh, you're the man of bow spiders, dude. But hey, before we get into that whole thing, let's uh, tell everybody, like, when did you start hunting and all that good stuff? Oh, you want to go that far back, huh? Well, yeah. I was, uh, I was raised just north of you guys in Oregon in the Wet Valley. And I was raised as a city boy, believe it or not. Uh, went, went to a high school in, in Corvallis and all I wanted to do every Saturday morning when TV came on, outdoor, outdoor network came on, I watched elk hunting. I wanted to be an elk hunter from as early as I can remember. Now, when I was a, a youth, we did a lot of waterfowling and a little bit of pheasants. And occasionally, like one weekend a year, I'd get to go walk behind my dad on like a doe black tail deer hunt. As soon as I turned 14, I got a bow in my hand and I went elk hunting and I was hooked ever since that day. I, I won't miss an, an archery season. Not, not going to happen. I'll be in the woods elk hunting like this year specifically. I booked a last minute moose hunt to Alaska, had a couple rifle hunts booked mid October. I flew home from Alaska mid September and I spent 12 days in the woods chasing elk, had plenty of opportunity, just didn't have the bull I wanted to present the right shot. So wow, I did that, finally harvest the bull, but 
I, I'll never miss archery elk season. So if you want to, if you want to put it out there right now, uh, one species, one weapon. I, I love to do some turkeys. Sure. I love to do waterfowl, uplands, great fishing. Sure. Whatever. In the big game, exotics, great. Awesome. I'll go. And we've done a bunch of it. We'll get into it later. But if I had to pick a weapon and a species, and that's all I get to do the rest of my life, it would be archery elk. And there's no other comparison. You know, brother, I tell you what, when I started, when I picked it up back in 2009 and I went to Montana to do my first elk hunt, I got one. And I tell you what, uh, there was an old guy that my parents knew, and this guy used to go up into Wyoming. And he would go elk hunting every year. He did rifle, but every year he would tell us something about elk hunting, elk hunting. And I have a friend that lives up in, uh, up in Wyoming, and I can't remember the little town, but I was talking. I think you meant to say Colorado. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's where you, no, I mean, that's where you went hunting, but I'm talking about my, about how I kind of heard about elk hunting where this guy would go and no, cause you're, you're in Wyoming. And I was just telling my uh, friend that I only see like once a year and we meet up together and we go dove hunting in Arizona. And I was telling him about this old guy. I mean, he's passed away almost 35 years ago or maybe even longer than that. But he was a group of black guys that went up there and uh, my buddy was telling me, you know what, Dwight, I think they have a picture of them in the, in the little town of the, of the history where these guys would come up every year. And I got to get up there and take a look at that history picture and see if this, his name was Ivy Walsh, but he used to hunt and he was a big outdoorsman, but he would go every year and do elk hunting. He loved that. He had that passion. And like I said, when I did my first elk hunt, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with, hunting big game period but i just never do it until i was able to get somebody to teach him how to use a uh, a bow and i tell you i i agree with you i i want the elk hunt until i can't do it anymore with the bow because it is amazing totally amazing and you know what brian i'm sorry brian i'm saying but dave um i was looking at your website and i had a question for you how's how's your <laughs> uncle how's your uncle kendall doing He's the one that introduced yeah. you. Oh, yeah. Kendall and I are uh, in the midst of planning an Alaskan moose caribou combo for next year. Nice. So he's, he retired last year, and he's chomping at the bit to go hunting. And we spoke this weekend about where, what, when, why, how. So we've, we've mentioned um, mountain goats in Alaska, and we were also talking about either moose, caribou, or both. Oh, nice, dude. I tell you, like I said, I was, reading, I was just reading that a uh, about your looking at your website and reading that thing. And I just was wondering how he was doing, if he's still able to go out and hunt and do all those things that he introduced you to. Yep. Yep. We still get to, I get to see him oh, once a year or so. And yeah. It's uh that's if, if you guys want to go read that bio and that story, you can, you can get some glean some information on, on my life. But like I said, I would on, on Saturday mornings, other kids would be playing cartoons or going out playing. I would, I would turn outdoor network on and elk hunting would come on and i'd watch that i'd watch kudu in africa whitetail i wasn't super excited about but the second they turned turkey hunting on tv i think i'd rather watch golf than turkey hunting on tv <laughs> i'll be honest with you That's funny. now i'll go turkey hunting i took my boy this year he got his first and second bird idaho and montana we did a three-state week-long turkey adventure and I, dad got one with a bow he got two with a shotgun and uh, yeah, we did 
we drove all the way up into northern Idaho and went hunting with an outdoor rider up there. And then Montana, we got invited by a good friend of mine to central Montana to hunt turkeys on some ranches there. And then we chased some public land birds here in Wyoming. So how, he how got his first. Son? How old is your son? He turned he, he turned 11. Nice. And what's his name? Uh, his name is Hunter. 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 Ooh. Ooh. Uh, Shout out to Hunter for getting so we, those birds. Exactly. We took him back up to Montana for the opener of the Rife Youth Deer Season, and he smacked a big old whitetail buck. I'm talking, oh, we haven't measured it. It's in the 130, 140 category, but body-wise, uh, it was 50 pounds heavier than the mature muley bucks we shot. It was a tank. Wow. Congrats there, Hunt. Congrats. One shot, 80 yards, 6.5 Creedmoor suppressed. He made a great heart shot. Thing went 60 yards and piled up. Congrats there, Hunter. Yeah. Woo! Yeah, yeah. that's super awesome yeah. hearing the kids go out there, you know, because the kids really are a new generation. Yeah, the next I mean? generation taking care yeah. of, moving on, keeping this industry alive. Absolutely. And something more than just, you know, when you take a kid, that's awesome. I'm taking a kid cow elk hunting tomorrow on their first elk hunt. I'm excited about it. But when it's your kid and it's their first harvest, it's just that much more uh, special. And I can't. I mean, to really translate it into words, guys, I, I don't know. It's it's a culmination of I put 10 years of blood, sweat, and tears into this child, right, so that we can go do things I enjoy. And he, he likes to have his own things he enjoys, and we do those as well. But I uh, I had to convince him a little bit. He's not like me in, in the regards of he shouldn't have been named Hunter. He should have been named Video Gamer. But, <laughs> you know, that dad kind of dad kinda leaned on him a little bit and said, hey, you're getting to go on an uh, an out of state big deer hunt for your first hunt. Bucket up! You were getting up early. We're going to hunt all day. You're going to be cold. You're going to be miserable, but it'll be worth it. And we filmed just a little bit of it, cell phone footage, and I'll put a little snippet, two minute video together of the hunt. But I mean, he was he was over the moon, excited, elated, and he's ready to go elk hunting. And legally, he can elk hunt next year here in Wyoming. And so we're uh, we're going to get him a little rifle built. Uh, so that, that suppressed rifle guys, I've tried to have him shoot some of my medium caliber stuff, 243, 22, 250. He's obviously pulling 20 pounds with his bow and he's got to get to 50 to be legal. So archery's out of the question and we're looking at building him a little suppressed rifle that he can use and be accurate with. Outstanding. Outstanding pops. Hey, hey, thanks for doing that for your boy. I mean, like, like we said earlier, you taking him out there and teaching him and getting him to enjoy it. And the fact is that even after the fact he shot that thing that uh, he wants to get back out there and do it again. That's awesome. That is awesome. Heck yeah. Hey, what, well, what, what kind I think of everybody should look down the road 30, 40, 50 years, right? Like yep. with my uncle Kendall. I mean, he took me at 14, introduced me. We did a, we did a mule deer hunt on sugar beets, corn, and I don't even know if there's any wheat. I remember, remember the beet fields and the, and the corn fields, right? And there was mule deer everywhere. And I took a quiver of nine arrows and I think I flung five of them and never even hit anything and come home empty handed. But I was hooked from that trip on. And I can look back at some of those photos and think back to those memories. And the second year we went and I harvested a doe, I still remember how elated I was, right? And so when my son Hunter gets to look back at these pictures and maybe even some of this video, Say thirty years, four decades. I'm I'm definitely not hunting anymore, right. but I'm probably gone in the ground. And he can go. You know, my dad. He's not going to remember the day you played video games with him. 
he's not going to remember the trip to Disney World. He's just not. Those aren't those aren't quote unquote core memories. But I guarantee you, he'll remember the miserable days in the duck blind with dad, or the early mornings horse packing in and out elk hunting with dad. So that's yeah, it's a lot of work, and yeah, you definitely have to check the trophy expectations at the door because especially, you know, I took him at two and three and four years old. And so when he was done, there there might be a huge bull one more ridge away. When it's just him and I, okay, he's done. We're going back to the truck and we'll try again tomorrow. And I wouldn't trade not one day of trophy bull elk hunting solo versus one day of just enjoying the woods and being unsuccessful with my kid. There's, there's no comparison. Yeah. I believe it, brother. I believe it. You said you, uh, you grew up in Corvallis, or I'm sorry if I got that yep, wrong. Yep. You know, because uh, no, I grew up in Corvallis. Yeah, because you know I have a place over there on the coast, over in Wheeler, Oregon, and I keep telling Chad we need to get over to Counter Tag and go try to go chase some elk over in that area, a little place just north of Tillamook. Oh yeah, them them coasty Roosevelts. I've killed a couple of them, and uh, a, a Roosevelt cow will dwarf any any Rocky Mountain bull elk for sure. Wow. Absolutely. So I keep telling Chad, let's go do it. Let's go do it. So eventually we're going to be able, we're going to get out there and uh, get Chad out there and do it. And I want to do it. I got friends out there and everything else to point us in the right direction. So hopefully we can get that same yeah. uh, enthous- not enthusiasm, but the same rush as we do when we go Rocky Mountain elk hunting. Yeah. Oh, I love elk hunting too. I mean, it's just no, it's so fun. What, what I get more of a rush out of is blacktail. You know, these, these whitetail guys, if they want a challenge, book a hunt in Washington, Oregon, or California. California might be harder to get the tag, but, and definitely take a wild edge saddle. I have one. When I first grew up, man, we had ladder stands and then climbing sticks with platforms. And, you know, you got. Oh, uh-oh. 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 I, think, I think I lost them. Hold on. Let me call them back. Oh, 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 oh. Well, that's what happens sometimes when you call people. You just lose them and stuff. Let me call back. Yeah, Chad, I'm telling you, can't wait for that. That'd be a good time for us, brother. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. Dave. Dave. Oh, I'm here. Oh, what happened? Oh, I, some idiot was calling me, probably a spammer, and I was trying to send him the voicemail, and I think I hung yeah. up on accident. Sorry, dude. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. But what I was getting at is uh, I we'd, set, we'd do some – permanent sets on private land and hunt blacktails really hard for the month of November. And I can, I see the allure of the whitetail guys, you know, when, when you get a big blacktail buck walk in front of you, understand. And I've killed a couple archery, a couple spot and stock on the ground and a couple out of a tree. And it, it by far, I don't know, in the deer species, whitetail are cool. Coos deer are cool. Mule deer are, are really high up on my list, but I don't know. Like I said, I cut my teeth chasing Roosevelt elk and and mule deer out of a tree, and it's uh, it's still got a soft spot in my heart. But I moved to Alaska shortly after uh, college. So in high school, I got a got to the opportunity right out of high school. I worked for an outfitter in the northeast corner of Oregon called Steen's Wilderness Adventures. Sean and Shelley Steen owned it for 35 years, and they had taken it over from their dad before that. They've since sold it here recently and it's now sour apple outfitters and they are I, I know them they're a good outfitter if you need an outfitter you want to go northeast oregon they've got some really cool country there snake river eagle cap wilderness and i spent 
five years riding a horse, packing people in and out and not getting to hunt as much as I wanted to. But, uh, I, after I finally figured out that that wasn't how I wanted to make my living, uh, we moved to Alaska in 2009 and I got to hunt all the species up there and uh, our first kid hunter was born and decided that we wanted to live in the lesser 48 states and I said that correctly because they are the lesser 48 states <laughs> uh, I, I'll sit, put it this way uh, Alaska has has my my heart but Wyoming has my soul there you go there you go okay, it's okay. definitely home that's cool. we moved here in 15 and I, I'll probably die here and it is if people want to know, I was joking earlier about if you want to hunt elk, go to Colorado. They have the most elk. Yep. They have the most over-the-counter tags. Yep. Go to Colorado. But if you want to kill bulls and have an experience, come to Wyoming. It is probably the best sleeper state in, in all of them. Montana is amazing. Idaho has some really good opportunity. Washington, Oregon, believe it or not, have some have some elk. And then you got your Arizona, New Mexico, Nevada. They all have, if you can get tags, there's some really amazing units there. Hey, so out there That's in the Wyoming, it's uh, there's no over-the-counter stuff. Everything's draw, right? There's nothing over-the-counter here. Yeah, you yeah. cannot drive into the state and pick up a tag. You've got to put in and draw, which, you know, that's – and that's for non-residents. Right. Oh, so residents automatically get them? Uh, there, there's some draw and some over-the-counter, but there's no preference point system for mm. uh, residents for the, I guess, what they call the standard – we do have preference points for sheep, mountain goat, uh, bison, moose. Damn. Yeah, you know, another thing that my friend told me uh, <clears throat> that lives in Wyoming, because you know what, you guys have the largest uh, public land area in the United States to hunt. I think 72 or 76% of the state is public land. Yeah, correct? that's amazing. And we have the county I live in, Fremont County, I think, think bearing uh, barring any Alaskan counties is the biggest one in the lesser 48. It's, it's 200 miles across our County. Wow. Damn. That's amazing. That's a lot of public land. That's good. I'm glad. And I hope that some of the leftists don't get up there and start trying to change that again or trying to change it at all. I'm sorry. Yeah. The, the winters are a little brutal and we like to say it blows the non-residents back out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what? Yeah, that that was that would blow me out because yeah. you know I'm not a cold guy. Yeah. You know, a couple a couple of those times I've been back to Ohio uh, hunting and uh, woo! I, hey, I'm not going back to Ohio hunting in January no more. I'll tell you that <laughs> it's just too cold. I'm a Cali boy. Yeah, I uh, I bought a pair of uh, Cabela's muck boots. They're not muck brand, but they everybody know what I'm talking about. Uh, for my last Missouri. Uh, November, December hunt, and they are 1,200 uh, grams of insulation, and I was putting a uh, hot pocket, hot hands, hot toes in wow. those boots. And, and, and you're still cold? I can't wear them around here. Oh, my, I didn't get cold. No, I didn't notice it, but when I was trying to wear 400-gram insulated, you know, my, my mountaineering hunting boots that I wear out here in, in all sorts of cold temperatures, but when you're riding horseback, you're, you're actually moving your feet a little bit, right? And then if you get cold, you can get off a walk for a few minutes and get back on and you stay warm. And that damn tree stand sitting on an aluminum heat sink, it just sucks. The, uh, man, it just, I've never been colder than, than oh, probably probably Pacific Northwest uh, hunting 33, 31, 36 degree weather in Oregon where it's kind of spitting slush on you. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just, 
hundred percent humidity kind of hunt where it's borderline freezing. You, you'll freeze your butt off. You really will. Well, we went up to Eastern Oregon, but so when you were hunting Eastern Oregon, uh, did you, uh, literally, was there like trees and stuff out there where you were hunting? Oh yeah. Like yeah. So, uh, I hunted, I hunted the Eagle Caps just over the uh, range from where Cam Haynes used to be going in. I was working for the outfitter, same time frame. He was writing his book and getting packed in back there. Oh. And uh, literally one drainage, I was one drainage east of where he's going. And so, yeah, it's it's heavy timber, deep wilderness. It's oh. the uh, Eagle Cap wilderness. We were going, I've ridden all the way through it. I think it's 40 miles through there. Go in the Lostine and out Wallowa Lake. And, yeah, I've had a lot of fun. If if you wanted adventure, I think the, the hidden gem is that either the Seven Devils in Idaho or the Eagle Cap Wilderness in Oregon, those two are just rugged and remote. I mean, you gotta, you gotta drive two hours from even a, a medium sized town. And that's, that's Wyoming standards. You gotta drive two hours from a 2000 person town, even to get to the trailheads. And you're, you're not going to get much more remote in the lesser 48 States. Wow. That's amazing. I've never done a, a, a horseback in that pretty exciting. You know, I like to say when I'm elk hunting, I want friends with strong backs and weak minds, and I haven't found any with weaker minds and stronger backs than horses. <laughs> That's a good one, dude. There it is. That is. Because I know when we, I know when we, we went up to Eastern Oregon uh, just uh, a couple of months ago, we went out there to o- Oregon, and dude, there was not a freaking tree in sight. It was, it was all shrubs and everything else. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, nothing like that. We, I think we were at the Columbia. We had a. Uh, Yep, we had shirts and hats that said, uh, you whack them, we pack them. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> oh, that's fun. That's so funny. Hey, so what was, do you, do you remember your first animal that you took down? Not a bird, obviously. I, I do. I, I, no, first big game animal was, uh, I had a model 7600 Remington, the Woodsmaster in 270. It's engraved with, uh, doll sheep on one side and elk on the other. And I took that out for blacktail doe in Oregon, made about a 140 yard shot on a, on a big fat doe. And yeah, that was my first one. And I can still remember creeping up the meadow, came out onto a clear cut. It was Madrone on one side. We were down out of Redmond, Oregon, I believe. Yeah, we we're down there, Southern Oregon. I think. I can't remember the closest town. It would have been Yonkala. We were just outside of Yonkala, and there was a clear-cut Madrone wooded. And, you know, we were right in the middle of the clear-cut, working the, working the edge, and then worked up to the middle to kind of the landing and looked off the landing. And, oh, it's 140, 120 yards, something like that. And there was a doe looking out of the brush at me, and I, I, I was excited enough. It was hard to keep the crosshair steady, for sure. <laughs> and then you were hooked ever since, huh? Oh yeah. I mean, I've been, ah, I can, I love this one. So when I watched Disney, you know, everybody else felt bad for, for Bambi. <laughs> I don't know. When I saw Bambi's dad, I just wanted to make, every time I went hunting, I wanted to see old Bambi's dad on the wall. <laughs> now, did, did you, were you brought up on eating wild game also? Yeah. When, when dad was successful on a couple of black tailed deer hunts there, we ate it, but we ate our ducks and we ate pheasants and uh, my dad grew up in Utah. And so his brothers were there and we'd go be part of the family annual. Uh, they have a, basically a one weekend season season opens on like a, 
think it opens on a Saturday and closes on a Friday. So if you work Monday through Friday and can't get the week off, general rifle deer was kind of a Saturday, Sunday hunt. Wow. Mm. So we went on that a couple of times, cousins and uncles and, I think there's a dozen of us, and I, they'd get a deer or two. And so, yeah, I, I definitely grew up on – we didn't have wild game like my kids have now. I mean, here in Wyoming, between my wife and I, some years we get 11 tags, and we've kind of reined it in a little bit that you can't – I got four freezers, and I make sure they're they're full. And there's a very interesting thing that happens. I've noticed this ebb and flow the last few years. My uh, trophy hunter – status kind of ebbs and flows with the freezer. If, if I leave and the freezers are, you know, 85% capacity, I'm going to be awful picky antler size and, and location. And I anymore, if I'm on a 10 day hunt to, to really be successful evening of day 10, I want to harvest the biggest thing I've seen the whole trip. I've been on a couple whitetail trips and the first one I went on morning of a five day hunt, I whacked a, a 150 with my bow and a great buck. I think he's a 154 or something like that. He's a he's a ter- tremendous buck. But I stayed there because I went with a crew of guys for four more days and just went out and sat in stands to watch. And I'm like, man, there's a 160 over there, and I could have could have could have had some more opportunities. So, in in my opinion, the ideal dream is to hunt hard. And this this is like my Cape Buffalo hunt. You guys can go watch that on film. I did that a couple years ago. South Africa, spot and stock on the ground with a bow, had to finish him off with a rifle, but I did stick him with an arrow, and it was by far the hardest thing I've done. The animals are hunted eight, nine months out of the year. They know that people mean bad news, and they those buffalo would, would get our wind or sense something not right, and they'd, they'd, they'd spook for two miles, and we'd just get in the truck and drive down the sandy roads looking for tracks and cut their track and go in on them again, but... You know, what I'm getting at is that was evening of day six on a six-day hunt. We were going home morning of day seven, and we had to run out right at daylight and track him down and finish him off. And so the ebbs and flows of, you know, just the highs and lows are I'm not going to get something. I'm going to get something. Oh, I'm going to go home empty-handed. I'm not going to go home empty-handed. And I, I've told this to a lot of people when I was when I was guiding is if if you would be happy going home the last day with that animal, you better take it the first day because I can't guarantee that we're going to turn another one up. Right. Right. And uh, to quantify that. So if, you, if you're fine going home with a raghorn elk, it's your first guided elk hunt and you just want any elk, you better not, you know, you, you better, you better be able to justify, well, I want a 350 bull and a 335 steps out and the guide says, I think he's in his three thirties. And you go, no, I want a 350. If you'd be okay going home the last evening with that 335, and especially when your guide says, well, that's one of the better bulls I've seen for this area this year. You better harvest them. If you say, no, I'm going home with a 350, well, that unit may not have any 350 bulls, right? Right. So I'm just saying it's not all about inches. It's about the experience. But – the same same thing when I'm Cape Buffalo hunting in South Africa. I'm not just going to shoot the first buffalo I see. Right. Hey, right. so how many yards were you? Let's, let's just talk about that Cape Buffalo hunt real quick. What 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 part of South Africa were you in at? And did what outfit? Uh, we were in the we were in the Limpopo province with uh, Dries Weiser, who's an archery only outfitter. It's been in business. His dad started in the late '70s as a PH. So 
they know what they're doing. Accommodations are great. Dries is a great guy. I mean, he treated us wonderful. It's an awesome adventure. He was kind of, he booked four days of my seven day hunt because I was doing a combo dangerous game and planes game. But I told him I'm focused on the dangerous game until we get it done and then I'll harvest whatever else. So incidentally, during the film, we took a, a golden wildebeest that was just, just happened to be walking towards us. We just hunkered down in the brush and it walked up and we took a shot. Now that was 27 yards. He went about 150 and piled up. It was a little bit quartering and I got a, I got a pass through, but it was just a tougher shot. They're tough animals. I mean, the golden wildebeest was, oh yeah, 70 some pounds. And, uh, then a couple days later, we were sitting in a brush blind and a kudu came in and I harvested him. And then it, that was like day two, we killed the golden day three or four, we killed the kudu. And then day seven, evening of day six and morning of day seven, we uh, killed the Cape Buffalo and it was 22 yards. And I, you can watch the film. I'm, I was actually surprised. I was pretty cool, pretty collected, calm. I mean, I drew my bow back. Everything was, was good. I just had equipment malfunction and the broadhead just didn't quite perform the way I wanted it to. And I won't, I won't drag the broadhead company through the mud. If somebody <laughs> wants to send me private messages, I will, uh, I'll tell you some broadheads that I'd prefer to use, but you know, and it's, I, and it might just be guys where I may have smacked a rib just just straight on and it skidded off that rib and hit in the edge of another one. I don't know if any broadhead would have penetrated that. I don't think it comes down to that. In hindsight, I might go back someday and I would up my poundage of my bow from 75 to 80 for sure. I'm, I'm drawing 29 and a half inches, but I would definitely 100% have that extra five pounds of draw and I would up my arrow weight another hundred grains. And what, what's your great, that's what that was going to ask you right now. What's your, your setup right now? It was 725 with oh, a 75 yes. pound, 76 pound bow. Oh, and I'd go up to 825. Damn. Yeah. Wow. Dude, that's a, that's a setup. There's no <laughs> doubt, dude. <laughs> yeah. well, we were at 400, 600, 600, 600, 600? Yeah. yeah. 600 when we went there. Yeah. And I didn't, you know, I, I didn't pass through uh, that wildebeest that we shot. Right. I mean, I shot him at 20 yards. Right. He didn't pass through. I mean, he did die like yeah. not far, but, he didn't go. He didn't pass through though. Right. Hey, so when you were hunting those Cape buffaloes, okay, and you you see a herd, there was there had to be a herd. It wasn't just one, correct? Correct. We were trying to find those old Dugga Boy single bulls because well, it's only one pair of eyes and one nose. But typically, we found them in pairs. But a lot of times, we'd find a herd of eight or ten, and that that was so. The thing that was insanely frustrating about trying to spot and stalk archery Cape buffalo versus a rifle or a tree stand or a water hole is we'd find the herd, we'd get the wind right, and typically they're feeding into the wind. So we would stalk in behind them to about 100 yards, plus or minus, because we no longer could maintain visual. We'd usually spot them standing on top of the rack in the truck, right? You can just look out over the brush and see a black hump out there, two, three, 400 yards. We'd hop out of the truck, the uh, tracker would just keep driving the truck, and they'd pick their head up, and as long as the truck just you know, motored at a certain speed, they were used to the trucks mm. just slowly driving by. But if the truck stopped, they would spook every time. So we'd spot them. We wouldn't even let the truck stop. We would just jump out at about a five-mile-an-hour roll and let the guy <laughs> keep driving. And then we'd stalk out there to about 100 yards behind them and make a semicircle stalk and just have to listen and try and keep the wind right and hope that they would, one, would feed around and give us an opportunity. And 
Man, they they know what's going on. They the the go away birds. Our best opportunity was two lone bulls. We stalked in. We're within seventy yards. My pH climbs a tree, and not an easy tree, a thorny tree. And he's trying to just spot which bush this this buffalo's in. And about eighty yards behind us, an impala starts alarming, just about like a white-tailed doe, and we hear the buffalo thunder off, and that was insanely frustrating because I mean I had to, I needed to stalk around one or two bushes forty yards, and I would have had an opportunity. Damn, very good. Isn't it amazing those freaking trackers out there? Those dudes are freaking so, amazing. I would I would say I'm fairly fairly skilled, and right? I've done some some over mile track jobs on elk and I've recovered some marginally hit deer. And, you know, I, I would say that I would go there and say, you know, I'm, I'm in the top couple percent of guys that can go out, read sign, give you a direction and, and track an elk. Well, when I get over there, I, I'm not even a, a kindergartner. Those, <laughs> you know, cause it, to me, it's all just dimples in sand and they're like, Oh, this is Eland and oh that's Kudu and oh that's yesterday and oh that's today and I'm like, Oh, this is Warthog. I'm like, guys, that's all dimples in sand. And what's crazy to me is the first time we went to Africa, my wife and I in thirteen, she wounded a warthog and we did a long, long stalk. And I mean we had a, a herd of something come through and you know, this little inch diameter track all of a sudden had two inch tracks all over and I'm I'm lost. I'm just standing behind these guys. And we went like another three, 400 yards and the one guy whistles and brings back a blade of grass with a drop of blood. I'm like, no way, no way. So Those, they are phenomenally good yeah, you know, it, it blow is, you away. Yeah. It's amazing because even what we, we heard, what we learned from our, uh, our pH is that it's a dying breed. You know, I mean, the tracker is not, you don't get that many good trackers anymore. You know, it's a dying breed because they just don't do it as often. They weren't taught, you know, from generation to generation to generation. It's like, uh, like anything, like any other, uh, skill that you have, you know, if you don't, if you're not doing it or if you're not learning or you're not passing on that tradition, then it, it, it dies out. Absolutely. I would, I would a hundred percent concur. And what I would say about Africa, you know, and I've hunted Alaska a lot and, you know, out West, I've done a little bit back East and, you know, a lot of guys I've talked to and I'm like, trying to amp up and get excited about this Africa trip I'm doing. They look at me and they say, man, I got plenty of trips in, in the States. I want to do That's stupid. I'm not going to one of them high fence ranches. Well, first of all, in Dries Weiser's place, it takes you two days to drive across it. Two days to drive yeah. across that, that. And the high fence is there to keep the lions out, not to keep the animals in. Right. Right. But what I would say is, Expense for the money, and let's just throw it out there. An Alaskan moose hunt, DIY, you're going to be almost ten grand soaked into that trip. Yep. Between plane rental, boat rental, whatever you're doing, cabin rental, shipping moose meat home, the tag, the flights, you you might be able to do it a little cheaper, but you're not doing it. You're not doing it for five hundred bucks, right? All right. But you take that ten grand, you go on your moose hunt in Alaska, and I think they're running around forty percent success. Outfitted might be as high as 70 or 80, but you're never a hundred percent, right? Right. Well, if you take that 10 grand, you go to Africa, you're going to harvest seven or eight animals. And the experience as a bow hunter you get, you know, it, say you're a, a in-state hunter. That's all you ever do. You do your local 40 acre whitetail hunt. 
you're going to get a couple doe tags and a buck tag. You're, you're going to get the experience of shooting three animals a year if you're lucky. Right. You go to Africa, you're going to get two or three or maybe like out west here, we're lucky to get one deer tag and harvest it with a bow. Yep. That's seven years experience in a year and you're spending the same money you would on a gamble hunt in Alaska. So I I would recommend everybody go on a plains game hunt, archery, just one time. Now, if you do, if you are big into archery, definitely go with an archery-only outfitter. It, they just, they know how to cater to a bow hunter's needs. Yeah, you know what I tell you what, you know, because I'm looking to get a Yukon moose hunt and for my retirement gift to me after working 34 years. And the pricing that I've seen, for the most part, the average is between twenty-five to thirty-five thousand dollars. You know, and and man, I mean, I'm willing to spend some cash, but man, I tell you what, it's just something that I just want to do. I want to do that with 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 the with the bow. And some of these outfitters, they kind of discourage doing with the bow because they're pretty much saying, "Well, if we get a nice bull somewhere, would you be willing to use a rifle?" And I'm like, you know, I really want to take one out with, 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 with a bow. So, but you're absolutely correct about going out to South Africa and hunting that, that, that high fence, you know, cause it is amazing. We had a great time. It was an amazing hunt. Accommodations were great. And I want to go back out and do it again. Absolutely. Cause when we went in that gate, so, when we, we went into that, that ranch, uh, literally, like you just said, we never saw a fence again until we left seven days later. No fence. Yep. And so you just need to make sure there are some small 500 acre put and take places in South Africa. And I want nothing to do with that right. by no means. So do your research, but you know, you back to that moose example, game density in Alaska is super low. Opportunities are super rare. I mean, you can go watch the Kiefer brothers did, I think they did 40 days over three or four seasons of hunting dropped project Alaska before they harvested a moose. Right. That, and that was DIY stuff. And you can certainly DIY moose. And there's people that have it figured out and dialed in, just like guys that are killing 180 inch whitetail every year. But if, if you're the average Joe and you fly up to Alaska by a moose tag and, and go hiking out in the brush, you're going to do just that is hike out in the bush. <laughs> you're, you're just paying for a nice little camping trip for the most part. What, 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 what outfit the, in Alaska would you recommend to do a moose hunt from? Since you're from well, Alaska, I'm you doing know. DIY. Oh, you're, I'm oh, doing DIY. But you know the area, though, right? I mean, you know, you know. There, there's, there's uh, two guides I know up there, um, Jeremy Rusk and Caleb Silman. Silman, um, they they're both friends of mine on the Instagram and Facebook, and I I pay close attention to both of them, and I would, I, and they're they're both reputable guys, and most most your guys in Alaska, you do a little bit of homework, call some references. There's not a lot of fly-by-night operations up there for sure, but like you mentioned, your twenty, thirty k, you can you can do a DIY for under ten if you if you mind your p's and q's. Really? Now, be it that I'm a retard, not that I'm making fun of re- those with mental disabilities or anything else. It's just a word that we use when we were growing up. But anyway, can you explain to our audience and even to me what what does DIY stand for? Do it yourself. <laughs> there it is. See, for a person like me going up there, man, that 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 would just make me nervous because the fact is I'm just going out there. But even though you do the DIY, 
would you still get a guide? But like you said, you 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 know the area yourself because you've been out there. So would would you recommend a person like myself to uh, pick up one of your uh, friends or guides to take you out there with you? I'd I'd recommend the first time you go do anything anywhere, hire a guide, whether that's Montana elk hunting, whether that's Louisiana duck hunting, right? Because, I mean, say offshore deep sea fishing, say you want to go musky tiger musky fishing in your local spot, lake trout fishing, there's a really good guide. We've had him on the podcast down here out of Flaming Gorge, and you're going to pick up years of experience and knowledge that, you know, you can you can learn it the other way, the School of Hard Knocks, which I spent a lot of years spending chasing, walking around the woods with a bow trying to figure out how to kill these elk, right? And hire, hiring that guide, at least for your first trip out, I'm going to caveat this, that doesn't mean that the next year you go back into that same public land spot, park your truck next to his truck and hike in and, and hunt his elk, right? Okay. No, you, you, you go with him, you pay the money to get the experience and to really kind of shortcut the learning curve, right? right? Oh, this is where we focused on this side of the hill this time of day, you know, because somebody that's doing it year in, year out for a living, they're, they're producing results on some level. They're not just, no, you know, guys aren't going to continue to stay in business if they're not going to produce results, whether that's deep sea fishing, whether that's waterfowling. And so being able to learn the lingo, and by that I mean the proper gear, the proper calls, it, it really will shortcut how many how many years you put into learning it the hard way. However, in some states, you know, New Zealand, all the red stag are on private land. Uh, South Africa, you have to go with a dangerous game pH, not just a pH, but one that's certified to hunt dangerous game if you want to go for Cape Buffalo. Right. There is no DIY Cape Buffalo. There is no DIY red stag. Right so to speak. Now there is, New Zealand's a, r- a rare case where you can get a depredation permit and you can go hunt public land DIY, but it's not, it's not a high level success. And where I would say that is that, uh, that huntcation in South Africa, you roll up and they're going to have a ice cold beverage on a silver platter and they're going to wash your clothes every day and you're going to roll into a hot meal and sleep in a freshly made bed. Yep. That moose hunt in Alaska, even guided you're going to be setting your tent up. You're going to be unpacking your sleep bag and you're going to be eating out of a bag every day that you heat up. So that's just a, it's a different mentality. You're going to suffer a lot more on the moose hunt than you are on the African hunt vacation, staycation, huntcation is what I like to call it. Mm -hmm. But the reward of a DIY Montana elk or a DIY Colorado mule deer is when, you, when you've done it yourself, when you've scouted, guided, packed, set up camp, made the decisions, and everything culminates and comes together in a successful harvest, that's not your guide's deer, right? That's not, well, I paid for that deer on, on a high fence ranch in Texas. No, I I outwitted him mano a mano in his space and his element. And that's, uh, you guys get a little insight into me. I love hunting that involves deception. And it's not that I'm a deceitful person. I just want to go out in the woods with that animal and convince him that he needs to do something he normally wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. amazing. Yes. It, that's getting turkeys to commit to a decoy. That's yep. getting ducks to commit to a decoy. That's getting elk to commit to a call. That's getting, you know, a myriad. I, I love killing coyotes. Absolutely love it. And 
I've got to go decoy over a dog a few times. And if you've never done that, oh man, you're, you're missing out. It's, it's akin to hog hunting with dogs for sure. Wow. It's amazing. That's amazing. So out of all the hunts that you've done, and it sounds like you've done a whole shitload of them, what was your favorite all-time hunt so far? Oh, that's, man, that's not even a fair question. <laughs> I, I I already told everybody that if I had to pick one, I don't, but if I had to pick one, it's archery elk. I haven't really filmed a bunch of that because it's so dynamic and it's so quick. I just haven't. What we have on film on YouTube, man, that's we just did a mountain goat hunt on Kodiak and we dropped that film this fall. That was an epic trip, but what I said, it's my favorite. Uh, I get a little choked up guys. That's, that was my dad and brother and my last adventure. I got a photo in the top of my toolbox where we did a 50 mile hike for scouts there in the, in the Pacific Northwest three sisters wilderness. Right. So my dad and brother and I have, I mean, I'm 17. My brother's, 14 and my dad's in his 50s then and my dad said on film this last trip and it was two years ago august kodiak we were there 16 days of wet suffering misery and we kill a couple goats and a couple deer and it's an amazing trip i wouldn't say that i mean that's that's a close close second because my dad says it he's he's done he's not he's 72 and he's not going on anymore hardcore wilderness DIY, you know, hunting adventures. Now he went to Africa with us and he's going to go on some other trips and we're going to do some brown bear stuff, but there's a film it's near and dear to my heart. Uh, well, Dad and I in 2019 went on our third consecutive doll sheep hunt in Alaska and he harvested some major, huge majestic ram. And we did that DIY 50 miles backpacking through the woods and the film is I'll explain it to everybody this way. All these films that I do, I'm doing it mostly for posterity. It's yeah to show you guys that Bow Spider works and that we get to go do these cool things. But I'm looking down the road 30 years and I get to show my grandkids, my dad and I hunting Brooks Range, Alaska, right? These kind of are in perpetuity films that will transcend space and time as far as I'm going to really enjoy these when I'm, 70, 80, and I can't go do it. But you ask, back to the question, what's my favorite one I've done? I'm still going to probably have to think about it. That doll sheep hunt is is a close second, right? Mm -hmm. My first doll sheep hunt, Kendall and my dad were there, I think it was 2013. Yeah, that sounds right. And we harvested three beautiful rams, and that was kind of pre-social media days for me. I had a little Facebook account, but nothing much. We just went and got it done. And I think for me, out of everything, those doll sheep hunts and specifically that first one, just the the majesty of getting flown 70 miles in remote Alaska and dropped off. And I mean, you talk about call the wild, Jack London, you know, wild fang kind of stuff. Uh, it's, when that when that float plane takes off, and you guys just there's a there is a sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach that you are now alone and you are now responsible. And there's a different element than say you guys drive up to Tillamook and go. Even if you're down logging roads and way remote, you still know that hey, I can hop on this 
on this logging road, walk down to my truck. I can get my truck, drive to a hotel, and I can go get dinner at the restaurant and get a warm shower. When that float plane leaves and you're 70 miles, there's no walking out, guys. There's no. (laughs) And so that level of adventure, there's a book that I I read. It's called African Game Trials by, uh, oh, Teddy Roosevelt, our president. He, uh, He wrote that book. The Smithsonian Institute hired him right after his presidency, and he went on safari with his son Kermit for 17 months through Africa. They basically went from one side to the other. His son got almost sick enough to die with malaria, I think it was. And they had like 250 porters, and they were just salting everything they shot. He took a good old .30-06 and dropped elephant on down with his .06. And to read that book and to read some of those books as a kid, I've always wanted to chase that level of adventure. And I, I'm like you guys, I can't afford the $35,000 guided doll sheep hunter, the $30,000 moose hunter, the $50,000 brown bear hunt. So I've been, that's why I moved up there. That's the only way I could ever foresee doing some of that stuff. And even now I have to be pretty conscientious of what, where, when, why, how. So we're trying to do, one epic trip a year. Last year was, it, it's hard to rein it in. I was on Kodiak for, in August, I guess two years ago now. And then last spring in May, dad and I went back to Kodiak. He drew a grizzly bear tag and we had some opportunity, never pulled the trigger, probably should have. And that's, that's another adventure style hunt. That, oh, it, it's pretty hard for me to just put my finger on, well, Cape Buffalo is better than anything. I I think to me, the trips that really uh, emulate what I'm looking for is something with some suffering involved, right? If, if I show up like my first Missouri deer hunt and we drive to the gas station at 9 a.m., get a buy our tag over the counter, go, go get in a stand. And by one in the afternoon, I've dropped my buck and the trip's over not a lot of misery. There's not a lot of suffering. There's not a lot of agony. So 50 mile doll sheep hunt. And we saw one ram the whole trip and we had one day left to kill him. And my dad makes a 440 yard shot uphill and jumps him. I mean, it's, you guys gotta go watch the film. It's just, it really is the culmination of a lifetime. You know, real real quick, you know, you were talking about that, that, that those hunts with your father and everything else. It just kind of took me back because my father used to, really be involved in bird hunting with his brother, my uncle Ray. And as I got older and he got older, he pretty much, uh, my dad kind of pretty much stopped hunting, but my uncle Ray continued hunting and he was getting up there in age and he had dogs and he loved hunting. He loved bird hunting. That's all he did was bird hunt. And I remember I put this trip together to go do a nice pheasant hunt out in South Dakota where I was going to pay for everything. And one of the biggest things is that I wanted to take him. I wanted him to come and, and experience this hunt that he's always loved and, and, and enjoyed. And uh, he just felt that he was, wasn't was young enough or strong enough to do it. And I just kept trying to beg him to go, and he, and he never did. And that's one of the biggest regrets that I have is that uh, he didn't go with us when we did this dove hunt because it was just – it was a remarkable hunt. And I just know that he would have been tickled pink, but, like, you know – experiencing that with, with, with your elders or your parents or your uncle, or whatever. Yeah. I, I, I totally feel the exact same way, you know, because eventually, like you said, eventually there's going to be a day that we're going to be at that age. and We're not going to be able to do those, some of those things that we've always loved and enjoyed. 
Yeah, hundred percent. That's why I'm trying to get the uh, <laughs> the rugged remote doll sheep, mountain goat, grizzly bear, moose. Get it all out of out of my system, and I think I'm going to try and hunt not every species, but I, I definitely want to kill all all the North Americans before I'm done. Mm, there you go. Hey, so when you guys hunted that grizzly, so you hunted, I know you hunted Cape Buffalo, and you guys, you just said right now that you were, you and your pops went and hunted for grizzly bear. And did you get close to any of those grizzlies? Oh, yeah. We were, uh, uh, <laughs> they, they were within 40 yards of our tent a couple nights. So uh, the how, closest we got your, how in your, daylight was. How was your adrenaline going on, on that? Like, were you, like, scared or fear? or as I don't know, I, I'm I wouldn't say I'm an adrenaline junkie. My wife would would disagree with you whether it's <laughs> racing dirt bikes or riding horses or whatever. But I, as I get older, my mortality is a little more apparent every time I I fall <laughs> off of something. My my knees don't tolerate it. My back doesn't tolerate it like I used to anymore. And I'm getting a little. I wouldn't say slower. I'm getting more deliberate in my approach to hunting. Uh, as far as adrenaline, Cape, Cape Buffalo was by far the scariest, uh, that definitely the, the times we were stalking in and spooking them and it's 50, 50, I've been charged by grizzly bears here in Wyoming. Alaskan bears didn't scare me as much as when I've been charged here in the States that these Wyoming bears are, uh, they're no joke. They're legit. Tear your face off. And that's, that's, uh, I don't know if I've ever been afraid but i've been alert for sure uh no probably probably the the one that i was afraid of uh one trip before the filmed doll sheep hunt about a half mile from where we were when we killed the ram dad and i i wouldn't say we got lost on the way out i was like oh we're not following this goat trail we're gonna go right on the way back i'm like i think we can make it through that goat trail and there was a shale slides shoot that was about five feet across but we're on like a 70 degree slope with a 100 degree slope above me so i'm holding on to a rock that's vertical and it's crumbling out of my hands and i'm kicking my feet into this loose shale and it slides for about 100 yards to my left and then it just the whole mountain disappears so it goes to a a drop off and so i've got my backpack on my dad's behind me with his and i'm kicking toe holds in and saying, all right, dad, step in my footsteps. And we, we really should have been roped together at this point. But I got to that five foot spot where you had to like basically leap across. Well, I leapt across, got over there. And then I put both hands on the rock and said, all right, dad, you jump and grab my pack. And when he jumped and grabbed my pack, about a three meter, you know, 12 foot radius around us, the whole thing slid about two feet, all the footing, everything. And I could just right then, I mean, I'm like, Oh shit, this is going to go and we're going to die right here. I mean, that was, that was one of the scariest things. The other one that wasn't, I wouldn't say scary, but it was uncomfortable. My first Alaskan fly out hunt with Kendall, my uncle, he brought his dad and his dad was late seventies at the time. The pilot split us up. We went, did a moose, um, moose caribou combo. Pilot was overbooked. He's like, I can't make it out to your caribou grounds, but there's this moose on this pond real close, like 10-minute flight. I can take you there. You can hunt that moose, and then I'll take you out to caribou grounds. We, we said, all right, that's fine. We're here for a 10-day hunt. Well, day four, we boogered the moose up at like 67 yards. Kendall wanted to shoot it with his bow. Huge moose, guys, 71, 72-inch wide. 
monster moose with a cow. I I'd opted to pack the uh, 44 mag instead of the rifle. I I regret to this day not just going, hey Kendall, we tried with the because uh, the moose ran down to about 300 yards and just stopped and looked at us in knee high must gig. And you know that was his opportunity, and I wish I would have packed the rifle that day instead of the pistol, but. We waited for a day or two, messaged the pilot. He said, all right, I'll come get you, fly out the caribou grounds. Uh, we were too heavy to take off of that pond, all three of us, in his M6 mall. So he's like, all right, I'm going to take one of you in half the gear, and then I'll come back and get two guys in the other half the gear. I was like, okay, that sounds reasonable. So we kind of split the gear into, they didn't keep a tent. They kept a tarp, but they kept the primary food, the primary stove. I left them with my bow and my boots. I just took my muck boots and the rifle and the tent. So I was like, all right, I'll have the tent set up. I took my backup food stove, just a little jet boil, and I took some food. Well, he dropped me off and said, all right, it's too late tonight for me to go back and get them. I'll come in the morning. I'm like, no. I said, no big deal. I'll be fine. I slept with the rifle loaded next to my leg all night. I just did. I'm like, okay, if I got to get it, because I didn't have the pistol, I didn't have bear spray, I left it with those guys. So the next morning I get up, ah, they're not there yet early. I'm like, I'm going to go scout in glass. I did about a mile and a half hike out and saw some caribou, saw a doll sheep, saw a grizzly bear uh, with some sow, a sow with some cubs, all within two miles of camp. I'm all excited. I have to do the mile half hike back. It's early afternoon. They're not there. Now I'm getting a little worried. Like, did he crash? What's going on? Lo and behold, three days went by before he showed up with somebody completely unrelated and a note from Kendall and Kendall and this guy's no longer in business and I don't appreciate the way he treated us, but he pulled into Kendall's where he had left him and basically stood on the float of the plane and said, you got two options. You can finish your hunt here or I can haul you out to the trailhead today. Wow. And so I got this note from Kendall that, Hey, you can stay and finish your hunt for the next four days. We'll be at the truck waiting for you. And I'm like, that's not, that's not kosher. That's not cool. That's not fair. I was there to hunt with those guys, not, not with this weird guy he brought me. So right. lo and behold, there'd been a few caribou that had been killed earlier in the morning when he flew in midday. He's like, I got to go do this. And then I'm coming back to get you. He dropped this other guy off. This tiny little bull wandered and fed to within about 180 yards. And I dumped him and had him quartered and back at the lake when the pilot showed up. So I did get a caribou, but I never even had my bow. And that was pretty frustrating. And that's pretty shitty. For sure. That's pretty shitty that guy did that too. I mean. Oh man, I've been on four fly out hunts with Alaska with air taxis and you are a hundred percent baggage and luggage and they don't really care. And I, oh. I'll just say that. I mean, they, their goal is to book as many flights as they can. And every time weather, you know, weather's going to mess them up two or three days and then they're going to have three guys standing there trying to get flown out the same day. And, you just need to, if you're planning a fly out trip, and honestly in Alaska, if you're not doing a, a boat or a plane trip, you're sort of wasting your time. It's really crowded. Only 1% of the state is roaded. So where do you think 90% of the hunters are yeah. on that 1% of road? Yeah. So what I'm saying is if you're going to do a boat trip or a plane trip, you better book a day on the front and two days on the back of just kind of weather, layover, delay days. That's something for us to think about, Dwight. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, well, that's awesome. All the great hunting. Sounds like you have a great history. So, <laughs> a lot of experience, yeah, brother. We appreciate all that a lot stuff. Of experience. Uh, so, it's just one season after another. Just, I love to go. I love to be in the woods. And that's, that's where Bow Spider culminated from. 
Well, let's tell that since you brought it up, let's tell everybody what Bow Spider is all about, dude, and how you even thought about Bow Spider. I missed a bull elk of a lifetime in the wilderness because my bow was strapped to my bag. And I just decided that there had to be another way. And it wasn't, it wasn't that day that I was like, oh yeah, we got to fix this. It was actually the next morning in the, in the dark. I'm looking at my bow in my backpack with my headlight on and I'm a little bit irritated and miffed that I'm even up at 415 getting ready to do a three mile hike with like 1500 feet of vertical elevation involved to get to the meadows that we want to be in at daylight where we think the elk are. And I'm like, all right, do I pack this thing or do I strap it? Well, if I strapped it, now I'm going to miss an opportunity and then I'm back in the same. And so what I decided to do, I said, when the headlight comes off my head, the bow's going to come off the backpack. And about noon that day, I've been packing that bow all morning, six hours straight. And about noon, I turned to my buddy, we're going to hike up over another saddle to another basin and bugle into it. I'm like, just strap it on. I just, I don't want to carry it. My arm hurts, right? And I shoot relatively heavy bow. I, I weighed them down quite a bit just because we shoot here in the wind in Wyoming and the light little bows twitchy. And yeah, it's great for tree stand hunting and shooting 20 and 30 yards. But if you're trying to make a 57 yard shot in the wind, I don't want a twitchy light little bow. I even, I have a new carbon bow that I put quite a bit of weight on. And by the time I add, you know, camera, heavy arrows, stabilizers, it, it gets, it gets up there. But that came down to, I decided that I needed something that I could quick release and get my bow. And I started prototyping that and here we are. And it's, it's pretty cool. We've now got the crossbow version. We've got the saddle version. Um, got a ton of swag, colors, molly clips. They'll be back in stock eventually. So, uh, as far as consumer feedback, headrest of the truck, hands down is everyone's favorite, but the back, uh, the backpack is truly where it was designed and is shines the most. However, the hip is the most convenient. Throw one on your hip. You can, when you're glassing, spotting, stocking, standing, it's just a, a third hand to hold your bow real quick. And finally, you can use it as a, as a hanger in a tree, especially states where it's not legal to screw. You can strap one right to the tree with the standard post or with the tree saddle post. I got to check out that sea, that tree saddles one because that cause right now I've been really into the saddle thing and and when I got picked for that hunt wars, uh, you guys gave all the guys out there uh, the contestants one of those bow spiders and that's when I got to first use it and I and actually I used it on. So the were you kind of like what what were you kind of like what is this thing? Absolutely. At first I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and then it wasn't hard, you know. We just like figured it out. It like hooks your bow, hooks your backpack. I was like. Oh, this, this is pretty legit, you know, and to where I could just reach over my shoulder and pull it right off. And it, it just, it, yeah, it's just like free hands for me. So on our packaging, what we like to say is while we won't make you a better archer, we do make archery better. <laughs> That's true. That's a hell of a model. Yeah. Absolutely. So what year did you, what year did this all come out? Uh, 16 is when I lost the bull elk of a lifetime. 19 is when we had product in packaging. Damn. And how many, how many of these bow spiders do you think you have going out per year now, you think? Hundreds, hundreds of them. Well, I see on your, like I was looking at your website, you have, a, you have them all over the place. You got them in Canada. You got them all over the, you know, lower 48. And it, it, uh, man, Spain, it, it, France, yeah. Ireland, Australia. Uh, yeah. Southeast Asia, 
there's there's some roe deer hunting over there. There's some guys that are packing bow spiders on their bow, chasing deer in like I think Malaysia somewhere. So we we vetted those guys pretty hard before I'd ship any product to them. But yeah, uh, guys in Australia are loving them for spot and stock Asian water buffalo, which is on my uh, radar to go. I've got the uh, bison killed. I've got the the Cape buffalo killed. Where I, while I still have to go back and get a one arrow clean successful kill. Uh, still, it's it's done. So the kind of the trifecta there is the Asian water buffalo. So I might as well finish the uh, the slam there, right, boys? Absolutely, one hundred percent, brother. Why not? Oh, and that's a slam, huh? Those three. That's the that's the slam, then, huh? And that's the that's the bison buffalo slam, yeah. Oh, I didn't. That's I never even I never even started out to to do that, and I will say, I was shooting. 70 pounds with a 440 grain arrow on a bison and I got a full pass through at 44 yards and I took a liver liver lung shot at 28 and got three quarter penetration so you know these guys that are saying 650 grain arrow for a whitetail mm-hmm. sure whatever I'm not going to knock it I, there, there's a there's a fairy out there that flutters around and speaks mumbo jumbo uh Pretty much anybody that's wondering about FOC arrow weight penetration, it's really simple, guys. It's really this simple. You need to max out your kinetic energy or momentum with your feet per second. Wherever those two cross, that's the, that's the magic grain of arrow that you need to be putting in your bow. Going any heavier, and this is not dangerous game. This is anything up including elk in North America and brown bear. You know, most bows, it's going to be between four and 500 grains. I shoot 443 grain arrow. Yeah. Outstanding, brother. Yeah, because, you know, yeah, you don't want to have too much of a weight and you can't even do the right things with it. But uh, no, you're right, brother. Well, let me let me, let me give this, this analogy to you. Take a, a bowling ball, a baseball, and a ping pong ball. You right. stand at 50 yards. I'm going to throw the ping pong ball, the baseball, and the bowling ball as hard as I can. My arm's going to put the same kinetic energy into all three of those, right? Correct. Now, they're going to carry different kinetic energy. That ping pong ball is going to be going a hell of a lot faster than anything. But about halfway there, it's going to start to veer off. And if it does hit you, you know, it don't care. Doesn't do a thing. You don't. You're like, yeah, what doesn't do a thing? (laughs) That would be going with an ultra, ultra light arrow, you know, say 300 grain arrow, 70 grain broadhead, right? as light as I could potentially ethically shoot out of my bow. My bow is not going to be able to put as much energy into that arrow because there's going to be a bunch lost in just between the string and the arrow moving. Right. Now we go to the baseball and I'm going to, I'm going to take your head off with that thing. We get to the bowling ball. It, it's going to crater about halfway between you and me. Yeah. It's going to go six inches in the mud. And if I could hit you on top of the head, it's going to crush you in. But that's the same thing with a rifle. Man, I can put 150 grains in my aught six. I can put 170 grains, or I can put 200 grains. The 200 grains fly like a brick, or a, you know, a lead balloon. The 150s, they're a little bit faster, a little bit flatter, but they don't retain that energy, that momentum. So I, I shoot 168 grains out of my aught six, and it does everything I need it to. Yep, outstanding, brother. So yeah. true. Thank you for the education, because a lot of people out there don't understand that. Absolutely. Do you find yourself hunting with a bow more or a rifle? 
So it's my trophy room. I looked around the other day, 60-40. It's 60 archery and 40 rifle. I have no problem knocking a rifle hunt. I That Cape Buffalo hunt would be a lot more fun with a rifle because you just go in with your a big old double, you know, like a 500 Nitro Express <laughs> or a 470 or a 458 lot, some big old English double. You find those buffalo, you just walk right in, they come face you, and you put the crosshairs on his nose and you dump him, right? Okay. You can't do that with a bow. No. And so there's some hunts. I'm still... I'm converting to archery mule deer, high elevation, high country. I went for a week early, and then I went for the rifle season and ended up killing a, a buck with my rifle this year. I'm converting to, I'm going to just do it with a bow. And there is a whole level of, if you want to fill a freezer, take a rifle. And when my freezers are empty, I'm going cow elk hunting, and I'm going to fill, fill the fill the freezers with cow elk meat. Mm-hmm. But as far as like, I will be back up in Alaska this spring chasing brown bear and I'm not even taking, I didn't, I was up there for moose bear combo this fall and I just took a bow and I'll be up there this spring for brown bear and I'm just taking a bow. And I, I could have certainly, you know, in mountain goat film, I settled for shooting one with a rifle and is there's not an either or guys. If, if you're going on a hunt that is, you know, either or weapon, say like, Antelope here in Wyoming, if you show up during rifle season to wear orange, you can legally pack your bow and walk out there and shoot one with archery tackle. Hmm. You can use a lesser weapon in another season in a lot of places. And that's the way it is in Alaska during brown bear season. There isn't a bow season in a rifle season. There's a brown bear season. So if you take the rifle and the bow and say, well, I'll try with the bow and then we'll switch to the rifle, you're always going to just default back to the rifle. So if your goal is you want to harvest one with a bow, you're obviously handicapping yourself. You're going from nowadays equipment that's ethical at a thousand to it's not ethical with my bow at a hundred. I mean, it's just not, it can be done, but I would say for me, 500 yards max with a rifle and 50 yards max with a bow. And I prefer it's back to that DIY sense of accomplishment. You know, I'll show you something I harvested with my, with my bow and I'm a lot more genuinely proud of the the level of work that went into that. So I've got a a really nice shoulder mounted bull elk that I did solo DIY. Didn't even call him in. I was just sneaking through a bedding area next to a wallow right in the evening. He was coming down to drink and him and I, our paths intersected and I, I made a marginal shot. I'll, I'll not deny it. It was 24 yards. I thought it was broadside, quartered to me. I didn't check my bubble on my sight. I was kneeled down on a sloped hill with a backpack on, and I was <laughs> breathing pretty heavy and shaking a little bit. But I yanked that shot, and I missed the liver and went out behind quarter. Oh, so it was guts and hind quarter. Mm. We spent 17 hours tracking that bull, found him dead salvaged all the meat, salvaged the hide and the horns before the bears had got on him. And that was, uh, he went 1.2 miles from where I shot him as the crow flies and he was leaving one drop of blood every 70 yards. So we were mostly just following footprints down trails. Wow. And it was, it was a, it was a tremendous track job and we didn't give up and you know, it turned out all right. And I'm pretty proud of, of that level of commitment and care and, no, I did not make a good shot. I'm not proud of it. I practice all year to not make those kind of shots. But 
if you do this long enough and you send enough arrows out of your bow at yeah. some point in time, yeah. uh, you're going to hit your, your coat jacket. You're going to hit the blind. You're going to hit a brush. Uh, animals going to step funny and you know, arrows do funny things. Yeah. So, well, you know, I like the fact that you, 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 you encourage mm-hmm. and you made that comment regarding get your butt out there and keep on shooting those arrows or your rifle to maintain so that you can have a great ethical shot on animals. Cause we've been hearing all these other things about how some of these guys get out there and they hit it, they hit an animal, but then they go back out and shoot another one, even though they can't find them. But you know, the, your testimony right there is just amazing because it's something that we try to push on the podcast too. Hey, listen, you keep looking for them. We keep looking for them. Yeah. Don't just give up. Say, Oh, okay. Put in it. the work. Yeah, absolutely. Dude. You know? Put in, put in the work. And when I first started, I could shoot a four inch group and I four inch group with your rifle, four inch group with your bow. Just get that in your mind. Clay pigeon, right? Can you keep it in that clay pigeon? Um, and I don't care what yardage it is. And I don't care if it's an atlatl or an atom bomb, you need to practice and know your ethical range, right? Absolutely. Close only, close only counts in horseshoes, hand grenades and atom bombs. (laughs) Absolutely. brother. Atom bombs. Absolutely. brother. (laughs) That's the only time close counts. I'm glad you said that. Uh, Our listeners know that. When I first started, I had a 70-yard pin, but I was proficient at 35 or 40 yards. I was probably 4-inch proficient at 30, right? Realistically, I should have had a max of 30 or 35-yard shot. Mm. Well, in my mind, and I took some 66 and 70-yard shots because I had a 70-yard pin, right? right? And occasionally, I could keep it in the bag target at 70. And we're talking, this is back in the days, right after I switched from aluminum arrows and fingers to this to this uh, release aid, but it was before D loops. Uh, we were clipping to the string. I, I started oh, yeah. in '95, guys. Right. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I remember putting felt on my my rest because when I pull back with that aluminum arrow, I'd go <laughs> the whole way back. <laughs> or, or the little <laughs> that, shrink, that didn't or work that out so tube, well. Or that shrink tube stuff. <laughs> that I'd wear through that, so I'd be electrical taping that back up. Right. So that was it was back in the day, but. What I'm getting at is anymore, instead of doubling my practice distance to my harvest distance, say my practice distance was 60 or 35, I'd say, okay, I got a 70 pin. Now now what I do is I practice at 120 and I have that to 60, right? I practice at 600 and 700 with my rifle and I have that to 350. And what you'll find by doing that is go out and, and practice at 70 yards, but then only only hunt at 30, right? right? Yeah. 35 is your max. Yeah. And you're doubling your chances of a successful harvest instead of having your chances of a successful harvest. Yep. I agree. That's a good point 100%, there. Yeah. 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 Hey, so your, 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 uh, brown bear that you're hunting in spring, what month is that like March? Yeah. Yeah. It goes from uh, March to June and we'll, uh, we're, uh, planning stages right now. We'll be, Putting in for the Kodiak tag, and then uh, oh, you have to draw that. Maybe hunting. We have to draw Kodiak and wait for the draw, and then there's a a bait station that may be being going put in on the Kenai Peninsula. Oh, so I'll either be sitting over a bait or chasing bears. I'll be chasing bears in the spring with my old man up there. We gotta we gotta get one on the ground. That's just it's something that. Oh, there's a couple bucket list items left. Uh, red stag, Asian water buffalo, wolf, 
and brown bear. And that's, those are the four that are on my radar to, to chase pretty heavy. That's cool. Yeah. That's well, cool. I, I want to do a brown bear hunt. Yeah. yeah. I thought about the wolf hunt. We had an outfit that we go to when we do our bear hunts and they keep trying to get us to go out there and do that, uh, that wolf hunt during the winter, they tell it us it's like 30 below. I'm like, oh, no. We, I'm not doing that. It's too damn cold. <laughs> well, you'll find that uh, I actually, yeah, 30 below, gets it gets nasty. But anything <laughs> with a, with a posit- zero and above is fine. What it, what, what it really does come down to is the humidity. If there's no humidity out there, Light jacket ten below, and I'm I'm warm. If there's no wind or humidity, right. there's some wind and humidity. I got to have ten jackets on, and it's still cutting through. So, yeah, exactly. That's my point, brother. <laughs> hey, so uh, what else uh, does Bow Spider have coming up? Did you have any other like inventions that you're thinking about pulling out, or your hat, or what? Well, there's a, there's a few. We launched the uh, the Bow Slicker this year, and that's been really good. And we also have the waterproof pack covers that. Our guys are actually really enjoying and liking and using uh, ultra lightweight uh, waterproof backpack covers for your. We have them for oh two to three thousand liter backpacks and then three to five thousand liter backpacks and that's you know they're they're mere ounces. Nice. Uh, being yeah. able to go ahead. And they have that little elastic little the elastic band in it to wrap around. Yep. Yep. And you just. I mean, it's kind of almost like a shower cap for your backpack. And we used them on Kodiak, all five of us, the cameraman, my dad, my brother, me, put them through the riggers, put them through the ringer. And for me, like on a spring turkey hunt, I was taking the the REI Cabela's waterproof backpack cover out or the ones that come with your backpack because they weigh six ounces, right? Ten ounces. I'm always, I'm cutting the handle off my toothbrush, guys. I'm always trying to... Where can I save what's in my backpack? I've gone to the dynerum cord or the, instead of 550 cord, I pack 330 cord because 330 cord will hold out quarters up just as good as 550. And I'm, I'm always refining how light can I get my backpack and how often can I take the horses instead of my feet? Just mm-hmm. as I get older, I'm getting wiser and more, uh, more lethal with my stocks. I used to on mule deer, I thought it was just an elk. I thought it was just quantity of stocks just get out and pound the woods and the more miles we get the more successful it'll be while some of that is true you do got to be able to be efficient and proficient with covering country because elk inhabit about 10 percent of their habitat they 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 just do they spend 90 percent of their time in 10 percent of the habitat so you've got to be filtering through at least 70, 80% of that habitat pretty quickly and going, oh, there's no elk here and move it. If you're not seeing fresh sign, and by fresh sign, I mean tracks and scat and maybe rubs, mm. move. <laughs> the elk are a drainage over somewhere. So, but with that said, when I do find that 10% of the country, oh, there's fresh tracks. Now, now I put it in four low and creep and figure out where to ambush instead of, instead of Instead of running in high gear, full speed, right? Because you don't want to, you don't want to be trucking through, making a ton of noise and movement right through their bedding area. But you've got to cover country to get to that bedding area, and you've got to pay attention to the signs. And like with mule deer spot and stock, we might spend three hours pre-daylight hiking up a ridge to get to a glassing knob. But then I'm going to sit my butt on that knob. We did it a couple times this year till dark. Sun came up, I sat right there on the binos or the spotting scope until dark looking for a buck 
to make a mistake and bet in the wrong spot and give us an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So it's not mm-hmm. about quantity of stocks. It's about quality of stocks when you're spot and stocking animals for sure. So when you're running, how many of those bow spiders do you run on the thing? Do you have one in your backpack, one on your belt buckle too? I 100% the way I hunt. And, yeah, I'm going to tell you guys to buy two of them because then I make more money, right? But, no, <laughs> seriously, I tell everybody this as a fact. If I'm riding e-bike, mountain bike, horse, four-wheeler, dirt bike, in or out, that bow is on my back. If I'm hiking the main pack trail, say I'm going to my whitetail stand in or out, it's on my backpack. However, as a spot and stock hunter, once it becomes daylight, back to the old adage of, like I told you, I take it off and carry it in my hand. Well, now I can just carry it on my hip, and it's significantly less movement in a, in a situation where I'm creeping through bedding area and catch something bedded or catch something moving through or, or get a cow call, and all of a sudden there's a, there's a bull in a spot that I didn't truly anticipate. And not that I'm pinned down, but trying to pull that over the top of your head and make all that noise and movement. Yes, you're not getting away with that if they're sub 50 yards looking at you. Mm. If it's on your hip, you've got half a chance, right? The best thing is is to have that bow with an arrow knocked and your release clipped up before the elk appears. Right. So I would say 90% of the time when I'm traveling or in the dark, it's on my back. 90% of the time when I'm still hunting, stalking, glassing, it's on my hip. And then, you know... 10% of the time, it's actually in my hand, ready to go. So if I had to pick one place to put a receiver, hands down, headrest of my truck. I don't take a hard case. I don't take a soft case. I don't have to toss it in the back seat. When I hit the brakes, it slides on the floor. It hangs securely and safely right there on the back of my seat. Mm. So, I mean, in the woods, yeah, you could go back to strapping it to your backpack. It's going to cost you an elk like it did me, but I'm not going to tell you that you can't do that. However, you can't live without the one on the hip, but it's so comfortable and convenient to put it on your backpack. So the nice thing is, is you can buy those twin pack receivers a little bit off. So you buy the kit with one receiver, you can try it in all the places I just told you about, and then you can come back and buy those receivers independently at a discount. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. So you sell them separately then? Yep. That's perfect, dude. That's so fucking awesome. Yeah. I like it. And and one thing to add there is, you know, you guys mentioned this a little bit in being your podcast, talking about Wild Edge, talking about some of the other stuff. Is Two things I want to mention is we are American-made between machining in Texas and PA, anodizing in Utah and injection molding in Colorado, and then the QC assemblies down here in Wyoming, and we ship internationally. The other thing is, is we do have a, a veteran discount promo code, so... The, that's a way for us to say thank you and give back for our freedom that that's isn't awesome. free. That's so awesome that you do that. Hey, can you tell everybody uh, where they can find you and your YouTube page? Because I, I didn't, I, I honestly, I didn't realize you had a YouTube page. Yeah, we have, uh, I think, 20 videos on YouTube. Most of them are just two-minute how-to, you know, mounting instructional videos. But we do have oh, Havelina, Cape Buffalo, Dull Sheep, Mountain Goat, and turkey film out there. Turkey was Hunter's first turkey, and we'll throw up his uh, whitetail adventure here when Dad gets some time to do a cell phone edit. But uh, all of our socials are Bowspider, whether that's Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, email is info at bowspider.com. And that's the same thing with the YouTube. 
and website is uh, bowspider.com. So you type in bowspider, you'll get there either uh, either through Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, email, or website. Right on, dude. Yeah, because I saw that. I, didn't, I haven't clicked on any of the videos, but I, I'm very interested in watching those things because I was just trying to check you out because I didn't know much about you. Chad just told me about the product that you guys had and how he used them when he went on that uh, – that hunt for what's that hunting wars hunt wars, hunt yeah. wars yeah and he he talked about because i didn't know anything about it so i started looking you up and i was like man this is, seems pretty legit because you know the, the yeah we've been sponsoring hunt wars for four seasons now and those guys do a good job they really do i like those guys yeah because yeah, you know because i've been using that uh uh oh, i can't even think of it for my boat carrying it but i can't even remember the guy's name where it's a which is pretty much like a little harness you throw over your shoulder and it Straps like a, on like you. A bow sling. Jeff, yeah, sling. That's what it is. Jeff, Jack, Jack, Jack Gear. I like I like old Jeff with Jack Gear, and that's a that's a great complimentary product if you don't want to uh, bow spiders. Just it's a it's a different mousetrap for sure. There's other things out there. I'm not going to knock them by by any means. And Jeff's a, Jeff's a good friend, and he's got a good product, and he's got a good business model. That's a that's a veteran owned company there, and only veteran or veterans are employed. A bunch of them. So, that's good. but uh. Back to the bow spiders specifically, you know, just check out our videos exactly how we're how and why we're different. There it is there. And I'd like there it. it is and, and now that we're in that saddle, Dwight, I, I actually seen a post not long ago how you can hook it to the round the tree instead of get one of those bow hangers yeah. and reel it into the tree because that's we're all about not fucking up the tree, right? All right, absolutely. And now I seen that, I was like, Oh shit. Now it's like, do I take it off my backpack? Put it on the tree. Right, right <laughs> but, absolutely. But now he's saying that you can get a receiver, extra receiver. You don't have to get the whole thing. I, I like that whole That's idea. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Innovation at its best, yeah, brother. Right on, dude. Got anything else? The Amer- American dream. Yeah, absolutely. American dream. 100%, baby. 100%. Hey, I, I, his hunts and his product sounds real. I mean, his hunts are exciting. So it goes to tell you, you know, the man's making a product for hunters because he is a hunter. He knows what needs to be out there. He knows what makes it easier for you hunters out there. So, hey, you know, check out his website. We're not saying go buy his thing. He's telling you, hey, just go check it out. We're saying the same thing because it looks like it looks like a great tool for the woods. And, they, you know, Chad's use it. And this guy, he's even used the, uh, the, uh, the saddle and everything else. So hey, check his check his product out and check out the videos and see some of the great hunts that he's been on. Because I tell you what, I I'm, I can't wait to look at him. And you know, honestly, just by just talking to you, Dave, like we can keep going on hours and hours. Hey, you know what? We need to share a camp with you, dude. We need to come out <laughs> one day and do a freaking camp with you. I don't know about one of these fifty day uh, backpack hunts, but <laughs> I don't. I don't know if you'd like my camp because because yeah. some days, uh, especially when my buddies are in control of the clock, we're up at four and we're we're back at. Well, sometimes it's been four the next day, so it's a it can be brutal, you know, to to DIY double double up, triple up on elk public land is uh, you got to be willing to put in the work. Other guys aren't for sure, no. and you still have to get lucky. And I'd rather be lucky than good every day of the week. Absolutely, I will uh, add caveat: if you are going to sit down and watch the doll sheep film, especially, but even the goat film, it's not a open it, you know, watch it here or there. No, you need to get you get you a drink, get the popcorn out, turn, turn it on the big screen and sit back and, and donate the 40 or 50 minutes and, and watch the film through the way it was intended. Cause it's a, it's an epic journey. And how I would explain this, I was trying to get this earlier. So say that mountain goat hunt was 16 days. 
we were we captured 28 hours of footage. We basically captured an hour and a half, two hours of film every day. We edited that two hours of film down to two minutes. Mm. Oh, shit. So you're seeing, so it'd kind of be like coming over to Thanksgiving dinner, right? Right. And I'm just finishing off the, uh, the, uh, the dessert and you reach over and pull the cherry off the, off the top and eat it and go, man, that was the amazing dessert. Eating the cherry is akin to watching the film. Okay. Eating the milkshake would be akin to digesting the, the 25 or 30 hours of raw footage. Going on the hunt is sitting down and having the full five course Thanksgiving meal, right? You right. just can't, okay. it will never transition. There's things that, the camera didn't catch rolling bloopers or, you know, there's just, you don't get, I, I, I remember hearing about smell-o-vision, right? It, that, that goat film, especially the thing that makes me most mad about when I sit and watch it, it doesn't look very horrible right. because the cameras really only came out when it wasn't sideways downpour raining, right? Mm-hmm. And you can see, there's some mist and fog and one day, like day two, I tell you day one in the film that, Hey, we got weather coming day two. There's no cameras. It's all GoPro footage and the GoPro is just smeared with water. Well, the reason was, is we didn't dare get the cameras out of the dry bags cause they were going to get internally fogged and wet and we had no way to dry them. So for us, I was on Kodiak, Oh, almost 30 days last year. And I think I had four sunny days. The first day I was there, the last day I was there for the mountain goat hunt, one day in the middle, and then on the bear hunt, we had one relatively nice day. We had snow and sleet and rain. So Kodiak is, uh, she's a miserable mistress, but she is beautiful. What's the best What's the best time of the month to go out there and hunt Kodiak? And and, and also, I know I'm just asking like so many questions right now. I'm, I'm, I've been curious about Kodiak, the white axe, right? And uh, is all Kodiak? Everything, if you say that me and Dwight want to go to Kodiak, everything's a draw or or not a draw? So you can do a DIY over-the-counter Sitka blacktail hunt on Kodiak. Okay. Now, they just moved the limit from two deer down to one deer. Correct. Don't quote me, but I think it's like three ninety five for the deer tag and then another 175 for your hunting license. So you're 600 bucks for a Sitka blacktail uh, tag, and you can just show up and buy it. Um. Honestly, I would go in November when the deer are down on the beaches rutting, chasing does, and do it from a live aboard ship where they take you on shore with a Zodi. Why? Because when you go get all wet in that nasty alder brush, you can go back to the ship, change out of your clothes, have a warm shower, have a warm meal, sleep in a warm, dry cabin. But if you want to do the uh, float plane tent thing like I've done, I would highly, highly recommend you have a hot tent. However, there's almost nothing to burn to keep dry. So you're going to struggle to burn a little bit of willows and get dry. But without a hot tent, uh, I would. we went in August and we went because we were hoping to catch good weather and we were still horrible. And, that, uh, and that's what that guy late, Mark Sasser from Wanabo said. Oh. Yeah, Mark Sasser from yeah. Wanabos, he went out there and, and he did the boat thing. Yeah, I did the boat thing. I was going to mention that, but you did. But, yeah, absolutely, because he says it's, it, it, when the, a lot of the deer were down on the beach or just real close to the to the beach, not far from it, but went back on a boat. So we killed – go watch the goat film. We killed three bucks. Uh, two of the bucks were higher than the mountain goats we killed. So Damn. Uh, we worked harder for the deer than we did the goats for, <laughs> by by a long ways. The goats are still bright white and stick out from 12 miles away. The deer, and they're 
two hops in that brush and they're just they disappear and the alders are 12 feet high so do you need preference uh, points for those? do you need preference points for that's those? O- that's over the counter oh for for, for, do- for doll sheep too um for the mountain goats you have to go guided oh but currently you can just show up and buy a tag, but you do have to hire a guide for mountain goat mm. and brown bear and all sheep. Now moose, caribou, and Sitka blacktail, you do not have to go guided. Mm. So, oh, okay. so that so, gives you some leeway, latitude. Black bear, you don't have to go guided, but brown bear, you do. Okay. So we'll just say me and Dwight, we decide next year we want to go on a brown bear hunt. Do so we could just go buy a tag. We just need to get a guide. You correct. Oh, oh wow. Okay, that's cool. But most of those guides are booked two years out at the yeah. moment. Oh, uh, you know what? A lot of those, a lot of guides in general. From when I went over to uh, the, uh, oh, I forget, forgot what the damn thing was, but it was in uh, Nashville last SCI. year. Yeah, see, I when I went spoke to a lot of those guys. Uh, they said that they've been booked up for two years because they said that the best thing ever happened to them was COVID, and everybody's coming out of the oh, work now. What when I lived in Alaska, doll sheep hunts were sixteen, eighteen thousand, and a few guys were charging twenty. COVID, and you know the state has shut down a couple units. Brooks Range is one that might be closed again this year, so. Demand is up and access to the resources down. So price went from sixteen, eighteen to thirty, thirty-five thousand for a doll sheep hunt. And I was trying to get a give a doll sheep hunt away through Bow Spider, and I reached out to a couple different outfitters and basically said, "Hey, can we do a doll sheep hunt at cost? Maybe fifteen thousand instead of thirty, or maybe eighteen thousand, right?" And they said, "We're not really interested. We're booked up for two years. We don't have the time, labor, manpower. We don't." We don't need the marketing. We don't care. And I, I'm kudos to them. That's great. I wish my business, I didn't have to do marketing and I don't care. So what I will say about specifically planning hunts in Alaska is pick one species and dedicate 10 days. And you might, a, a friend of ours that flew out the same trip, they killed a sheep, a moose, and a brown bear all within about a half mile of the lake they got dropped off on. Damn. Now that is <laughs> that is phenomenally lucky, right? You 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 need to pick one species and go concentrate on that for ten days, and the success is not going to be a hundred percent. Right? No hunt is a hundred percent. That's true. <laughs> and and that that caveats into the next thing is that's why I love to go to these remote rugged places. Is anymore? Yeah, punching my tag is is the cherry on the top and I'll go back to Missouri and I hunt Wyoming and I'm going to go back to Oregon and I'm going to go do Havelina again down in Arizona. But I just like to see the sunrise over another piece of country and meet a, a new group of people and experience how they live a little different than, you know, I'm, I'm on 20 acres here in Wyoming and I grow a little bit of hay and raise horses and all my neighbors grow alfalfa. So I like my little my little slice of heaven, but it is nice to go. Kodiak is a place if you haven't ever been, man, just go book a book a halibut fishing trip and go maybe catch a few few crab if they're in or or pollock or go watch the whales. I mean, you can you can do a June July just a fly into Kodiak and charter a boat for a day or two and do a hotel and fly home and 
it is a beautiful place for sure. Is it as beautiful as the Brooks Range? No, but man, it, Brooks Range was cool. However, South Africa, dude, we have what? I think 700 individual species of birds here in North America. That's the whole, that's the whole country, right? Right. They have over 2000 in South Africa. And like here in Wyoming, we might have 30, maybe, maybe 130 of those 700 species of birds, right? But you're going to have to drive long ways to see all 150 of those species. And in South Africa, I was seeing 150 species in the 10 trees around me and the bird noise was so intense. I, I just could not get over. And the sun, the sunsets and sunrises are just phenomenally different. I can't describe how different, but, and yeah, you can call me a sap or whatever. I don't care. Dude, I took probably 300 pictures of the sunrises, sunsets, and just sitting there listening to the birds. Well, you're, not, a, you're, not, was, you're not the only sap there, Dave, because exactly. you know what? I did the same freaking thing. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. You know, just watching that sun. Yeah, I just love sitting on the porch somewhere just watching that sun yeah. come up, you know. But, you know, that uh, where was that picture taken of you uh, on top of the mountain there on your uh, about us on your on about about us on your uh, website where you're sitting up there? I'm pretty right? sure. Without looking at it, is there no trees in the background? Yeah, no trees in the background. A beautiful picture. That, that's that's the doll sheep hunt with my dad in the Brooks Range. Okay, mm. that's a beautiful picture. I mean, just and it looks like that. I could be wrong because I don't know which way you're facing, but it looks like maybe a sunrise from just what it looks like. But yep. it's a beautiful freaking picture. Yeah, just sitting there, and I look back, and I'm like, I told my buddy, "My like, here, take my phone, take my picture," because this is, yeah. And even that picture doesn't do it justice. And we're right there in the Brooks Range. We're 200 miles north of the Arctic Circle. Wow. It's a it's a special place in my heart for sure. I'm chasing those doll sheep, and it's it's tough to it's tough to to say that 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 isn't number one. But and I already told you, archery elk is. I I've said it, and this is the best way I can sum it up is. Is Alaska has my heart, but Wyoming has my soul. Nice. Right on. Well, hey, Dave, you know what, dude? We appreciate, and we it's an honor to hang out with you for a couple hours today, dude. You uh, enlightened well, I, me. Well, I, I got exciting news for you. What is it? We'll be at Cowboy Christmas, and hey. we'll be at Western Hunt both. Uh, booths are 200 and 500, I think. So look okay. them up. I don't have them off the top of my head, but right. yeah, I'll be uh, there showing off the product. So nice. I have to hang out and Send after me. evenings are always better. Nice. Okay. Well, text, text me, uh, after we get off and all that, I have your number now. Now your program, it's like we're best friends all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> hey, text me your booth and all that stuff so I can let everybody know when this comes out on Monday, uh, uh to what booth you're going to be in. You know what I mean? Yeah, so we'll, they can come by you. Hey, we'll come by and say hello absolutely well hopefully i wasn't too boring so no. Hell no. i've enjoyed it guys it's been great uh oh. go check out the product i don't want to you know this isn't about pitching the product it was cool to hang out with you guys yes, and absolutely i'm gonna wrap this up because tomorrow morning i'm loading up a kid and horses and we got a couple hour drive to go shoot a, a cow elk in the snow at 
It'll probably be 10 below tomorrow. Well, I, hope, I hope you get one. So everybody out there, go out and check out my man Dave over there at Bow Spiders. It'll be in the credits. Uh, this guy's legit solid. He'll answer all your questions and needs. Also, go out. Make sure you guys check out Wild Edge, Inc. Get your saddle. Check out Turner's Outdoors, dude, for all your hunting needs, dude. Oh. Absolutely. And hopefully, and hopefully after... Uh, Turner's hears this broadcast. They'll start putting some of their product inside your sto- inside their dope. stores. Yeah. There, Dave, I gotta tell you what, your 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 stories are outstanding. Uh, if anybody's just listening, they, they if they if they if they're not hunters, they should get out there and hunt. Because I tell you what, your stories it will get somebody to get their get off their butts and get out there and say, you know what, I'm gonna try to take this thing up. I'm gonna try to go do this because you know what, Dave has just made it so exciting and he's just doing it and Absolutely. sharing it with his kid. Because I tell you, Dave, it has been a pleasure just hanging out with you. It's been awesome listening to your yep. stories and stuff. Thank you so much for uh, spending that time with us. We know you're a busy man and you were able to find some time in your schedule to. Hang out with us for an hour. I really appreciate that. Well, my parting words are any harvest with a bow is a trophy. I don't care if it's a doe or a cow. It's a trophy. Thank you again. Everybody out there, we appreciate you sharing another couple hours with the Ebony and Ivory podcast, baby. The Whack'em and Pack'em podcast. We'll see you next Monday. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. See you Monday, baby. Yeah. Woo. Hey, everybody, check us out. (laughs) And what else you got going on? So if you want to hear some more stories and want to catch up some more, we actually have a host and sponsor, co-host, Radcast Outdoors, along with Patrick Edwards. We're in season four and episode 150. We've got hunting and fishing stories from Gillingham, Newburgh, Shockey, Titus, Zumbo. We've got Pete Mena and... Al Linder. So whether you're fishing, hunting, check it out. Jana Waller was just on and that was an awesome episode. We've had women entrepreneurs, women hunters, you know, even Jim Shockey was on. So definitely check that out. That's Radcast Outdoors and you can get that on any podcast app or radcastoutdoors.com. There you go. Hey Dave, I tell you what, dude, you got some name brand people on your podcast. I hope one day we get as big as you. So we can have some (laughs) some some of those people who want to get on with us one day, but hey, outstanding. Yeah, we'll check it out. So you guys check that out. He told you, look it up. Check him out, listen to him, listen to his stories. Like he said, he's not all about just selling this product. It's just it's about the outdoors. And that's what this man loves. The outdoors. Just like us. We Absolutely. love the outdoors too. Yeah. Woo! Everybody, now that's a wrap. We'll see you guys next Monday. Thanks for tuning in, dude. Tell all your friends about us. Uh yeah. Do you like it? And I know you do. Tell your friends that will follow along. We're on all the major platforms, too. And check out my man Dave over there, Bo Spider, and his podcast. And yeah, baby. We'll see everybody out soon. Thank you, everybody. Yeah. Woo! Oh, whoa, 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 wait. We're not done yet. It's like we're we're leaving and we're coming. We're leaving and we're coming. <laughs> or we're just uh, woo, a bit confused. Woo. Yeah. Hey, guys. We get, we get, we get so excited yeah. by some of the interviews that we have and everything else and the person that we're with. We just get get so caught up Super in it. Super excited. Yeah, we forget the things that we're supposed to tell you guys and keep you posted, keep you aware of what's going on at the Wackham and Packham Show. Woo. Hey, hey, I just want to let everybody know. There's only a couple weeks left.
Go out there and pick yourself a Wild Edge saddle setup, baby. Go to wildedgeinc.com, dude. Get over there on their website. Pick up a saddle. And never, where is telling you, whoever gets a saddle, your name is in a raffle, dude. And guess what? Woo! You could win some shit. And one guy will win it all. Or one woman can win it everything. And here it is. We got a gift card from Hodad's. Jeremy out there in Hodad's Burger in San Diego. And everybody likes burger and bacon, baby. Oh, mm. yeah. Oh, 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 do they, right, Dwight? Oh, oh yeah. God, oh, I'm, I'm getting hungry. Oh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, getting I'm about to go to San Diego right now and get myself <laughs> a burger, too. Hey, Ho Dad's hooked us up with a freaking gift card. We got Mountain Bound Hunt Co. Also, SoCal Hunt Fish. They're donating some stuff for the raffle. We got Sam Scott, dude, a tattoo guy. Oh, yep. Sam, he's hooking up a sick for a tattoo. Oh, and we got a Turner's gift card, baby. Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 oh. One person is going to win all this, and you never know. Within a couple of weeks, we might have one more thing. I don't Absolutely. know. We'll maybe we'll maybe we'll see. If we get a bow spider in there also. We maybe don't know yet. Bow, but... maybe, maybe a bow spider. Maybe a pig hunt. Never know. You never well, know. You never but know. definitely, right now. You guys are going to win those four things that we just said right now, dude. So make sure you go over the Wild Edge, dude. Check it out, dude. Get yourself a setup. Send us a picture of it. Woo! And you're in the raffle, baby. And you know what? Say it, Dwight. What are you going to say? You're, you're leading close to the mic. You're about to say something. Well, you know what? With that, if you may win, you may get to hang out and have a few beers with us because you got to come out here to get the tattoo. <laughs> hey, you know what? You know what, Dwight? We're going to do that. Whoever gets picked, because they got to get the tattoo from Sam. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to go, Sam, I know you're listening to this, baby. We're going to come podcast. At the studio with you, Sam. Absolutely. While you're pod, while you're tattooing, the Ebony and Ivory, we're gonna be we'll there. We're gonna go there and podcast. Absolutely. So no matter what, whoever wins it, you're gonna hang out with us. Absolutely. We're gonna go down there and podcast at the studio. And you know what? I I've been to Sam's studio. He yeah. gave me a little tattoo already, dude. Oh, right? daddy? oh yeah, he's a good artist. Well, like I said before, I guess I won't be getting any tattoos. Let's, Sam, you come up and get come up with some white ink for me. Oh, <laughs> oh they got white ink. Oh yeah, all oh, right. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> they got white. They got white. Fluorescent, baby, for you. Fluorescent. <laughs> Lord have mercy. <laughs> yeah. Hey, everybody, make sure you go check out there. Get in this raffle. There's only a few more weeks left by the end of the year, December 31st. Woo! Happy New Year. When that ball drops, so does the raffle. There it is. Ooh. So, everybody, again, for the third time, and that's it. There it is. We'll see you guys next Monday, baby. We're going to have somebody else again. Like always, we love you guys for supporting us, and we believe in everybody out there that believes in us. And you know what? Just keep grinding it, dude. Get yourself out there. Get out there hustling. And you know what? You could be out there making a video saying what? Oh, whack them and pack them, baby. Yeah. Woo. See you Monday. Yeah.